My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 16th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 25th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited in a couple different ways. One, we are quickly approaching 250 consecutive weeks of doing the Faith and Science podcast, which is mind-boggling to me. I think we have two more weeks after this one to go and just that process, as I've been kind of thinking about some of these different things on how long this has been, a lot of thoughts and different things that I've had with nearly doing this now for five years, I kind of want to put this on you guys is, do you want me to kind of give a little bit deeper dive, a separate episode, kind of talking a little bit about what this is all about, kind of what were some of the different things that have gone on behind the scenes that maybe haven't always made the cut that you guys hear or different things of that nature. I'd love to hear your thoughts and considerations if that's something that you would want to do. I know I've done a couple small one-off kind of quick short introductions into different things and I think as we're kind of hitting that milestone I feel like that would be appropriate to talk a little bit about and I would be more than willing to get into that. I'm also really excited as we are getting into this fall season. The last couple of weeks where I've been, I've noticed things leaves changing. I've been going and it's definitely cooled down a lot where I am. The last few days where I'm at, it's been very cool because we've been having kind of rainy days. And so then that coolness that we get as we move into that fall and winter season is definitely starting to be felt more and more. But I think it's also this time again where we are going through these difficult texts in Luke, but we're also getting some signs of hope. There's only a couple more weeks, you know, a couple months here of Luke left before we move into Matthew yet again. So this kind of fun, interesting time that we are within within the church and thinking about that, moving forward in that, and what does this all mean? But this brings us back to the question that we had last week, which is where do you fall short? And one of the responses I got on this text that I thought was really beautiful was patience. And I think it's something that patience throughout life, we can always be working on. We can always be figuring out how to be more patient. And I think when we look to God as this patient God, we see the frustrations that God has, especially within the Old Testament. But I think we also then realize how patient God is with us. And I think it's something that we all can learn a little bit more about. So let's just jump into it. The first reading of the semi-continuous out of the Old Testament is Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 1 through 3a and 6 through 15. There's a little bit of backstory that you have to understand of what is going on here in Jeremiah. You have now Babylon, which is one of the rival tribes or rival areas of Israel, has come in and is dismantling Jerusalem. And at this point, this has been something that Jeremiah has been predicting, trying to help the people get in right with God. And yet, boom, here it comes. But you watch this and read through this, and it seems like this is just a land transaction. But the important part of this is right here at verse 15, where it's stating that the houses and fields and vineyards shall be brought into this land. Essentially, that as they're going through this difficult time, the tribe of Israel, that they will be brought back and that there will be 
vineyards and fields and houses again for the people of Israel, that this is going to be happening and that this God has not forgotten them. God is recognizing that this will come back to them. We just have to continue to follow what God has planned. The psalm this week then is Psalm 91 verses 1 to 6 and 14 through 16. This is then this recognition of how God is above all and that this is a place of refuge and strength. This is a place where God is a protector. God is one who puts his wings over us and is protecting us. And yet we have to be able to acknowledge the love that it takes in doing that and the honor that that is of something that is this redemption power of who God is within us. The other alternative Old Testament text is out of Amos chapter 6, starting with verse 1a and then 4 through 7. This is a warning text. This is a text that can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, and this week this isn't the most comfortable text. But it's, again, a warning for those who are on beds of ivory, lounge on couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, that God is recognizing this and that there is going to be ruin over this. This idea, again, of how not necessarily the the act of it doing it, but it's the act of how you're glowing in this and not necessarily seeing the help on where it could be helped is one of the things that God is getting frustrated about. The psalm this week then is Psalm 146. This is where then we are singing praise to God and recognizing how we are not without help, but we are with help because we have God on our side and that this is the person who continues to provide for us and sets us free and is allowing us to be able to become who God has created us to be is through this relationship that we have and that there is a lot of gifts that God gives in that recognition of that of how we live it's this recognition of God blessing people and how God is continuing to be in every part of what we are doing and thus being able to bless us and move us forward the epistle reading or second reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 19. And this is this recognition of one, you can tell this is written in a more of an arid climate versus a climate where temperature becomes more of an issue because Timothy is talking about all that you really need is food and clothing and being in the northern half of the northern hemisphere, shelter should also fall into that. But this recognition also of how God does continue to provide, but it's also that this means that we have to be able to go out of our comfort zone a little bit and the recognition of being able to talk about our faith, but also this recognition of what Christ then did for us along with that, making sure that there is this recognition of what Christ did for us to be able to have this relationship with God and thus we are thanking God for that but also this recognition of then this should modify how we live and that we are noticing others we are recognizing how God is blessing us we are recognizing all this and being willing to share in that the wealth with others not hold it all for ourselves The gospel text is out of Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. 
This picks up as we talked a little bit about last week after the prodigal son, which is after the lost sheep and lost coins. This is the rich man and Lazarus, where you have this rich man who is dressed in purple, which was hard to get that color at that time. Fine linen, feasted sumptuously each day. You had a poor man, Lazarus, who is outside the gate. And I think an important part that can quickly and be easily overlooked is in verse 21 that even the dogs would come and lick his sores as Lazarus is hoping to get food off the rich man's table. There is a little bit of scientific help in this that there are antibacterial and antimicrobial properties to saliva even in dogs. So in a way, this is a moment where we're seeing how God is continuing to provide even for this person who is being forgotten, left behind. And what happens is then we're also seeing a transformation of Hades. Hades had always been recognized as this place of waiting for the dead to rise to life. And now we get this expansion from the Old Testament of how there is torment within Hades. And you have the rich man in Hades and Lazarus in heaven with Abraham and the rich man cries out for Lazarus to dip his fingers in the water so he puts it on his tongue and provides some relief. Abraham says, you know, why would we do this? You haven't noticed this man basically your whole life. You lived in agony. You know, why would you do this? And you're feeling this chasm between these two places. The rich man then asks if he can be risen to life again and be able to go and tell his other brothers so that they don't have to go through this torment. And Abraham responds, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. You know, why would they suddenly listen to someone being raised from the dead? Which is kind of an interesting foretaste and where we'll be going in a matter of a few chapters in Luke. But this kind of juxtaposition on why weren't you recognizing this and why is some dead man being raised to the dead suddenly going to make you recognize this? So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we do a shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you have a at Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, the commentaries, the discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction for this podcast. I love having not only their Working Preacher podcast, but also multiple different commentaries through multiple different years, through multiple different biblical scholars, looking at these texts and how are they working with it, along with other discussions that are going on over there. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy using them on a weekly basis to be able to look at how they lay out the text each week, but I also really enjoy that they have art and prayers and hymns and colors and things to be thinking about to help think about these texts in a different way. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. There is a hardness to this text because especially being in a developed first world country, it's really easy for me to say, I don't want to be the rich man. I'm not the rich man. But yet in a lot of ways, especially considering world history and considering the place in which I'm in, no matter how much I want to not associate with the rich man, I am the rich man based on the fact that there's a lot of things that I'm able to go and do that many other people aren't able to do. 
Even taking into consideration the world economics in which we are in currently, the U.S. dollar still carries a lot of weight around the world compared to a lot of other currencies. And we've even seen this type of disruption on on a global scale recently with Queen Elizabeth dying a couple weeks back and the discussion on if you're coming from a developed first world nation, the image that we have of Queen Elizabeth II versus the territories and countries in ways that there was also a, a harder side of history with Queen Elizabeth II that also don't get doesn't get talked about as much, and now some of that is bubbling up a little bit more into discussion and thinking about that a little bit more. But I, being a faith and science podcast, I'm not going to get into the economics and worldly things of that nature. I'm going to look at things a little bit differently. And I think this is a text that can affect all of us, that all of us, no matter if you're the poorest of the poor, or the wealthiest of the wealthiest, that we can all be considered part of the rich man in some form or fashion. In our world, the second most abundant element is helium. And if you've been paying attention to the news over the last 10, 15 years, multiple times it seems to come back around that we are in a potential helium shortage. So what is going on? What is happening is that helium is the second lightest element we have outside of hydrogen. It's element number two. It's a stable gas. It's a noble gas in chemistry. You may have learned about that. Thus being that it doesn't really want to make bonds. It doesn't want to connect with other elements because it's happy with where it's at. It's got two on it, electrons going around its orbital shell, and it's just happy and content being there. Helium is very abundant out in space. It's abundant in stars. We have some here, which is due to natural radioactive decay of elements such as uranium and thorium that are inside the Earth crust and thus being able to be slowly released. The issue with it, because it doesn't make bonds, is that if released and not captured, it can just slowly slither up and escape our atmosphere entirely very easily. This makes for a few problems. <laughs> so this showing that one within Earth's atmosphere and Earth, this is a non-renewable resource. We are depending on the natural radioactive decay of other elements to be able to produce helium. Yet, our world has become dependent on helium. And that's not just for making helium balloons for kids and adult parties and different things like that where we take in and because the element is lighter than air, lighter than oxygen, it makes our voice go up way high. We've become dependent on it in a lot of medical research. We've become dependent on it in space exploration. We've become dependent on it in understanding particle physics. We have become dependent on a non-renewable resource. And the prospects on how we're going to do this, there's some positives, there's some negatives, but there's things we need to be thinking about. So typically how we have captured helium gas currently 
is through the process of when we are going for natural gas is the byproduct coming off of it and that we capture it off of that. As we as a world are trying to go into a more renewable direction and are trying to let go of natural gas, it means that we need to be looking for other helium reserves. And we found some different helium reserves around the world. Us in the United States over the last 30 years, we had a huge helium reserve and actually have decided as a country to let go of the helium reserve, making it very, very cheap. And now the process of us building up helium is a little more expensive. The problem has become is that we haven't prioritized this as an important thing. And now helium capture, being able to either pull it out of the atmosphere or finding these reserves and doing it is a lot more expensive than it was previously because we weren't exactly looking for it. It was a byproduct. How this has become very, very important is helium is used in like MRI machines because because of how stable it is. Because it's a noble gas, it's not, and it's very happy with where it's at. It's non-flammable and it's extremely stable, like we stated, and it doesn't really want to bond with other things. So that's where we use helium balloons because it not being flammable makes it so that it doesn't have necessarily an explosion process or something like that when you're using it in a blimp or something of that nature. It's used in high precision welding to help, again, be able to keep the torch very fine in particular and not having other elements get in. It helps in the precision of it. It's used in MRI machines because when you take all this, because of its properties, it can drop things to extremely low temperatures, which is helpful in understanding particle physics, but also extremely helpful in reducing heat for MRI machines. This has been something that has been talked about by a lot of the major computing companies that it's also extremely useful in quantum computing, which is where a lot of the next generation of computing is looking to go and you need to be able to have extreme cooling. We already have helium within many of our smart devices around us. And on top of that, it's being used in space to be able to project, again, rockets in the space and get so that there isn't impurities to have other types of unknown explosions, keeping things more pure around the elements that they're trying to have. And it being such a small element, the second smallest that we found outside of hydrogen, it's used in running in like spacesuits or different cracks to make sure that there isn't leaks coming out. And thus, if you're getting helium, it's then there's some type of minute crack that is actually there. This is something that is used a tremendous amount, but because we haven't been treating it as a non-renewable resource, we haven't necessarily done the best process of actually recapturing it, thus allowing it to float off and disappear. And so, yes, there's times where we are finding more collections of helium in the earth, and yes, that possibly can be used, but it's this process of us recognizing the value of what we actually have. The value of what helium is in our society and what does that actually mean for us going forward. It means valuing it. And the thing is, is this isn't the only thing that we're running into problems with. We are starting to have other elements that are in threat. So there's times where, depending on the source, there's certain scientists who are saying, 
within one to three generations, if not some concerted effort to recognize the value of helium, we could run out. And then there, in the next hundred years, some other elements that are being looked at is arsenic, germanium, gold, terminium, zinc, gallium, hephrium, indium. All these elements are being looked at as they might be starting to run out. This then gets into this whole idea and process of are we actually valuing these resources? And when we are using these resources, are we thinking about the whole life process or are we thinking about it to where we think it's going to be and not necessarily the end of life of that product? This is where the problem runs in, is not thinking about the end-of-life product, not having necessarily the good practices of being able to reuse this product, thus making it difficult to reharness the product afterwards. This is something that where we're running into this issue. And over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of funny to be thinking about this because we have an example of a company who's done the complete opposite. Patagonia made news this last couple weeks about how it is turning its entire company over into a trust as Yvonne Chavard, the founder of the company, is not going to pass the inheritance of the company off to his family after having discussions and instead are making a trust to value the company into taking its profits and throwing it into fighting climate change. The thing that's very interesting about Patagonia in and of itself, if you dig into the history of it, is they have had campaigns telling people not to buy their product. Instead, to reuse the product. Figuring out ways to be able to fix the product instead of buying new. They've had a whole part of their company for years where you can buy used Patagonia. They have also... Yvonne Girard being one of the founding members of 1% for the Planet, encouraging companies to take 1% of their profits and moving those into nonprofits that are dealing with environmental causes. This is a process of Patagonia thinking through the whole life cycle of their product, figuring out ways to be able to encourage people to buy used, figuring out ways to even have repair and be able to fix and then resell the products out in our environment, in our climate, thinking about how do we keep recycling this. And there has been other outdoor brands who have started to follow in these footsteps because of what Patagonia has been doing. Are we doing that, though, in the rest of our life? When I look at this gospel text in particular, a lot of where Jesus is calling us out is that the rich man doesn't acknowledge Lazarus. In fact, we see God helping him in the aspect of the dogs licking his wounds, as we talked about when we were initially summarizing this text but that he isn't even making sure there's a plate there to help him. The rich man is letting Lazarus's hunger be satisfied by the crumbs that are left behind. Instead, then he is in this place at the end of his life in Hades, recognizing this divide and now understanding I should have been able to acknowledge. The rich man's name is never given, but yet we have Lazarus's name, this poor man, being recognized for the trust that is going on. 
How often within our own lives are we hoarding things or saving things and not necessarily thinking through the best practice to help everybody, but it's more convenient for me? We so often and have been fooled in the economy that we are in, a throwaway society still, even as we have made strides to become more renewable, thinking about reuse, recycle processes. We still have been fooled in so many ways. How many of us have old electronics that are laying around that we don't quite know how to recycle and don't even get into the craziness of how at times inefficient our recycling process is with certain items? Why are we still having a society that's dependent on non-renewable resources for selling product? It's one of the things that actually has been discussed on the opposite end with electric vehicles is are we to the point where it is a net positive on the environment? And there's definitely decent arguments on talking about how there are things that we need to be thinking about more than just what is coming out of the tailpipe, the emissions to create the vehicle, the end of life of what we're doing with these batteries, the process of how do we make sure that The mining of these different materials isn't as damaging to the environment. Some of these are in the early stages of development and are further along than others. But this is a process of what we need to be thinking about as stewards, as caretakers. And I think that's one of the things that's so hard about this text is it means that we have to be considerate and thinking about the impact of what we are doing on everyone, not just yourself. Being able to see beyond what is portrayed to us. Being able to look around and notice the person that is being overlooked. Notice the one with that is being cared for by God and maybe that we need to be acknowledging them also. As we are entering into a phase of the world where, yes, there is a lot of difficult and hard environmental news, I think it means that we need to be able to take the tough pill and recognize the Lazaruses that are around in different forms and fashions and be able to not only sympathize, but be able to go and help, be able to sacrifice on our end and maybe not eat as sumptuously and share. It might mean that we have to slow down our economy slightly so that all can thrive instead of some. And these are tough pills to swallow, especially coming from the West, especially coming from a country that is obsessed with the idea of constantly growing. Maybe we have to be a little bit more stagnant to help others grow and not just us. This is what's difficult. This is what's hard. This is thinking things through a whole life cycle beyond our own. This is thinking through a whole product's life cycle, not just to the intended use case. These are difficult things. But it also shows that we are valuing things. We are treasuring things. And if God is treasuring us enough to be able to set aside land that we will be coming back to, to be able to treasure us, to acknowledge and warn us about things that are coming, for the different psalmists to recognize that it's still worth giving praise to God, for Timothy to recognize what God did for us was not just a simple little thing, but a very large thing that we should be acknowledging and changing how we live our life, then let's do it. Let's acknowledge the sacrifice of what Christ did for us by acknowledging the gift that that has given us, this planet, this 
place, this time to live. And recognizing then that we have to value things, understand what our non-renewable resources are and value them. And thinking about not only me, but think about the we of us as a human society. These are not easy subjects. These are not sit down over dinner and suddenly hammer it all out. These are discussions that take a lot of time. And the hard thing is, is we don't have a lot of time to do it. But if we do start valuing things, would we not all recognize each other as amazing human beings? And start recognizing this place that we live is an amazing gift and start looking at it much differently. Start recognizing that the world isn't just about profits. The world isn't just about what we can put into our wallet. It's not always about us feasting. It's how we can actually work together to grow and see the ways in which God is blessing all of us. Treasuring helium might be a part of that process. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.